Welcome to Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare, and today Susan Elia McNeil is returning to the podcast to talk about her recently published standalone thriller, Mother, Daughter, Traitor, Spy. Welcome back to the podcast, Susan. Thank you so much for having me, Nancy. I'm thrilled to be back. The last time we spoke, it was about The Hollywood Spy, your your most recently published Maggie Hope. Right. And, and she's a protagonist of your ongoing World War II era mystery series. And she'd come to Hollywood to join her best friend, Sarah Sanderson. And oh, by the way, while she's here in L.A., uh, she foils a Nazi plot right in the heart of Tinseltown. And personally, as a Los Angelino, I've lived here most of my life. I still live here. I found this incredibly refreshing uh, because there was a war going on out here, too. And in some ways, Los Angeles and its film industry was an irresistible lure to Hitler. You know, all that glamour, all that influence. And so I have to ask, did you come across the story while you were working on The Hollywood Spy? That's exactly what happened. And this is my first standalone Mother, Daughter, Trader Spy. And I don't think I would have written it without learning about uh, Sylvia and Grace Comfort, who were the the inspirations for Violet and Veronica Grace. And I came across this in this amazing nonfiction book called Hitler in Los Angeles by, right, you you know the book, right, by Stephen Ross. Um, he's a professor at USC and it was a Pulitzer Prize nominated book. It is wonderful. It reads like a thriller, except it's all true and it's terrifying um, how close, you know, the Nazis came to sort of gaining power in Los Angeles. And Sylvia and Grace Comfort, a mother and a daughter, were two of the spies who worked for Leon Lewis, who was the major organizer of the spy ring. And I was just so taken by, first of all, female spies, because, you know, that that already interests me because of Maggie Hope. But a mother and a daughter. And the fact that these, like Maggie's always been kind of special. Like she has these special math abilities and she has special code breaking abilities. These are really, really normal women. And these are based on incredibly normal women. And they <laughs> just did the most extraordinary things to protect democracy and protect our country. And I think that's, you know, a lot of writers have tapped into the idea of the women um, who helped this country, there was, and I, it always escapes me, but there was the the woman in place in France who had one leg. Who, oh, Virginia Hall. Yeah. Virginia Hall. And how, and, and it's because no one really thinks a woman can do that or would do that, you know, history notwithstanding. I mean, you know, Mata Hari and all the way back to the Bible, there have been women spies. Exactly. And yet, and yet. Well, it was against the Geneva Conventions of that time. So especially for the SOE, the, the spies for Britain, um, they knew that they were going against Geneva Conventions and that their female spies would be completely without any rights if when captured. But yeah, I, there was a <clears throat> there was the sense that you know women would be at home and minding the home front and um, tending the home fires, and the men would be out doing all of the saving of the world. So I always I like to see that turned on its head, and I like to see um, 
you know, people not usually given credit in the history books. I'd like, I love to see like their contributions to things because it's always just such an interesting and richer story than we're led to believe. You know, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about process, uh, something I don't often talk about, but I want to ask you, <coughs> excuse me, about that frisson that a writer gets when she encounters a true story that she knows will translate into fiction. And how when you when you read this book and you read this story, you went, oh, my God, this will make a great novel. I mean, is it is it a conscious thought or is it something that tucks into your subconscious sort of to creep out later? I mean, how how. how well, I that... talk, yeah, I can only talk about this novel and how it happened. And I have to say it was it didn't immediately jump out at me. It, I read that book, um, Hitler in Los Angeles, I don't know, at least five times, as well as just going back and like reading my highlighted notes. And. I was always aware that there was a mother-daughter spy. And of course I was aware that, you know, that was really interesting and unusual, but it wasn't until, I don't know, I think I was wrapping up the Hollywood spy that I was like, oh, this is a book. Like this is its own book. And then I went to talk to the folks at Random House and my agent, and they seemed to think it was a good book idea too. So then I went ahead and started to write it. And honestly, it was terrifying leaving Maggie and her friends. Um, you know, I've grown very close with them over 10 books. Um, you know, this is a very different book for me. It's in a very different style. There are no um, big parties or fancy restaurants. There are no cameos from, you know, President Roosevelt or uh, anyone famous. Um, it, it's a very... Uh, I kept to reality as much as possible this mother and this daughter you know um wife and daughter of a navy commander who died and you know what their life would really be like what their life and it wouldn't have been a lot of parties or dancing or you know any of those things that I love to put in Maggie um, which is also true it's just like she's in a different world and a different social class and in a different novel um, so this is very much more like blue collar, working class, middle class, um, real life gritty. But you do have some fancy scenes because you have a party in one of the fancier neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Well, that belonged to one of the, the Nazis, who literal Nazis from Germany who came to Los Angeles to, um, you know, convert Americans to Nazism and fascism. There were, you know, and I, and, and of course at this party, she runs into uh, the character that you based on Laura Ingalls, not Laura Wilder Ingalls, but uh, her distant cousin who's recently been in the news, who, who was um, uh, like Lindbergh on steroids when it came it to. It was like the female Lindbergh. Yeah, very much so. Both for the being in, aviatrix i hope i'm saying that right um an aviator and also for being fascist and anti-semitic and and actually convicted of being an unregistered nazi agent and I, this this just brings me to you know something that i've encountered as 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 writer out here and and not only a writer but a writer of history that that perception is that nothing really happened here 
in World War II. Um, you know, there's there's talk about what happened in the docks in New York and, right. uh, you know, whether or not there was a Nazi submarine off Long Island. Right. And meanwhile, uh, Hitler probably was mostly interested in Hollywood. He was obsessed. There were Germans here who uh, were here to influence the studios, to try to uh, look at scripts uh, in order to approve them for release of films in Germany. This is actually before the war, but they were very entrenched in Oh, Hollywood. absolutely. That's part of the story. It's just not part of the story that the Sylvia and Grace Comfort were part of. They were not involved with the Hollywood studios, but Leon Lewis, the spy master also had agents there like in the different studios and there were there were actually assassination plots against the big studio heads like louis b mayer and charlie chaplin for um his movie about hitler so yeah it was really entrenched and we just don't hear a lot about it and i think um again kudos to stephen ross for all of his amazing research and just putting all of that together in one book I, I loved your acknowledgments because you really, you, you called out the, the woman who had written her thesis on this in 1998. You really, you really got a tour of, of our local universities, USC and uh, Cal State Northridge, both, both of which have incredible repositories of historical documents and are such tremendous resources. Well, because the comforts were basically they were mentioned in Ross's book, but they were more of like a footnote. Um, I really did so much research, especially at UC Northridge. Um, and the first of all, shout out to the librarians who were amazing um, because this was during COVID. And they, um, you know, I would tell them basically based on Ross's um, endnotes like which boxes I was interested in like I, so I found the boxes that were um Sylvia and Grace Comfort and basically they photocopied entire boxes of materials and sent those to me by email I mean that is just it's sort of ridiculously incredible and I can never thank them enough so yeah so this is the novel I used the most um direct research for so i wasn't going because there's really nothing about them in books beyond this one little mention in the ross book so this is the one i really hit the libraries and the original documents for and you you mentioned in in your i can't, I can't remember if it's the forward or the acknowledgements that you did play a little fast and loose with their lives you started her at hunter college, which, which has a, I have a soft spot for my mother-in-law went there under very similar circumstances, you know, at the early days of the war and met uh, a wide range of people. It, you know, it's, a, it was a marvelous resource for the women of New York city because yes, it was absolutely. Free. Yeah, it was, and it was integrated even like 1873, it was integrated. So, and, and so she was able to meet this, this wide range of of people that she talks about and then and then you know something happens and she uh, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't read the book 
and she doesn't get the job she thinks she's going to get. Mm-hmm. And and what that what that did to me was it showed how precarious a, a woman's place was. Yes, definitely. It's she did something, and again, I won't spoil it for the listeners. But if a man had done it, it would not have been in any way a big deal. Exactly, and and it it, it would he might have gotten an attaboy. Yep, absolutely. But uh, yeah. she, you know, she was put in a position where uh, she basically, you know, would never eat lunch in that town again. Well, I wanted her to start an up in New York. Um, first of all, I'm from New York, I'm from Brooklyn, and I wanted to bring that sort of sensibility. And also, I'm not a native, you know, Californian. And I think it's, it's good to come at it with outsider perspective. And I think it, it would also be hard for me to relate to being a native Californian. That's just California in a nutshell. And I think you really captured it because so many of us, um, have that experience you know you you and and I've, I've i've often said that there's like nothing more devout than a convert yes <laughs> that's very true well so i chose new york specifically because new york is this amazing place where just people all kinds of people live cheek by jowl right we're all taking mm-hmm. the subway together we're all going to the stores together we're all you know going to hunter college together and L.A. seemed far more segregated. Um, you've got the redlining, you know, you've you've got all kinds of things in place to keep people in their own neighborhoods. And I wanted um, Violet and Veronica, the characters, to come from a place that was really diverse. I wanted them to have really good friends who were Jewish and black and, you know, just not that sort of white American that they might have grown up with on the other coast. So it was important to me that they start out in, in Brooklyn and in New York. Um, there are certain parallels. There's certainly parallels with today's political landscape uh, between your, your, new, your new book and um, what's going on today. But readers and listeners of the podcast have to remember that you started this book in like 2019 or 2020. And yeah. I'm convinced writers have this sort of innate skill or talent or you know, psychic abilities to pick up on cultural undercurrents. Uh, In your book, there's seditious conspiracy, which is advocating the violent overthrow of the US government. And it's, and right now there's a trial for that very thing taking place in 2022. I mean, without getting too heavily political, sort of talk about this, this, this undercurrent that never left. Well, I think for me, you know, I was um, intrigued by the use of America first for a contemporary group. It has such resonance. It has such reach. um, It has such a history in the United States. And here we are hearing about America first again. And I was really thinking like, well, why, why now? Why is this getting more press now? Why is this coming out more now? I mean, it's not like it ever went away, but it certainly um, has become more in your face. And I think I and other writers um, began to grapple with the idea of fascism in America in the 1930s and what exactly happened. And, you know, there's this whole mythology about World War II, about America and Americans standing shoulder to shoulder fighting the good fight. 
which is true. But there's also the people who were the anti-Semites and were the pro-fascists, and they just kind of went underground and they just kind of got very quiet until it was, you know, safe to come out again. So I see it as a very long wave of the same movement. The other thing I wanted to ask about is the challenge of writing a book that, uh, you know, where the end is known. So you've you've written this book about uh, spies in Los Angeles, and and you know we know that at least for this war, the United States won. Mm-hmm. So is it difficult to build up the tension and build up uh, the um, well the tension in a book that uh, where the ending's known, although not specifically right. their story, <clears throat> because some of Ross's spies were murdered. They were. But is it is that sort of a challenge? Not sort of a challenge. Is that a challenge? It is. It is a challenge. I knew that Sylvia and Grace Comfort made it through alive and they lived, you know, until their deaths in old age. Um, that's documented. There's really nothing documented about their personal lives or any of their motivations or anything like that. Um I guess, you know, the tension is more for me, like, why would someone do this? This is hard. This is dangerous. This could lead to you getting killed. And they're volunteering. It's not like they're, you know, making tons of money or, you know, going to be famous or anything. It's going to be anonymous. It's, you know, going to be hard work. It's going to be odious because you're spending time with these horrible people. There's, you know, I really struggled to try to help the reader connect to why they would want to do this and um, and why they would keep doing it. And so I think the tension is that plus, you know, they're always in danger. They're always, they're amateurs. They're in danger of slipping up. They're in danger of making mistakes and a mistake could literally, you know, get them killed in a quote unquote accident, which is how a lot of the other spies died. Um, so I don't think the readers know exactly what's going to happen or why it's going to happen. And I, you know, that's my hope that that's the tension that brings us through the novel. Well, you mentioned hope. Uh Aha. But before we talk about Maggie, one more aside, as I mentioned, I I did grow up in, uh, in Los Angeles and rumbling the Murphy ranch, which you talk about before it's burned and preferably late at night was sort of a rite of passage for teenagers here. Oh, I did not know that. And, uh, well, you know, this was ages ago, but I I did that. And it's pretty much as you describe it. It is nothing but an overgrown area in the mountains near Mandeville Canyon, which is near in Pacific Palisades. And it's covered with graffiti and it's just cement walls. But boy, is it creepy. And I take I it you totally went. Imagine. I did go. I hiked. I hiked. It's like two miles. It's not even like a real hike. But yeah, even in the daytime, it was it was pretty darn creepy. And it's so interesting that you know about it and you went to it because so many people in Los Angeles that I talked to, even natives, did not know about its existence or that it's still there, which I think is so interesting and just sort of, um, you know, history gets very edited. I mentioned Maggie Hope, and uh, I have to uh, ask you if if Maggie and her gang minded this diversion, or were they okay with it? Because 
you know, when you write a series, the you, as a writer, you live with these characters. They're with you. They talk to you. You have to talk to them. You, you yes. exchange ideas. And you had to tell Maggie, uh, who was on the cusp of returning to Europe uh, at the end of the Hollywood Spy, and you had to say to her, "Well, look, you're just going to have to wait a little while because I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm sure you would like this woman and her mother, but here yes. we're going to go, and I just want to make sure that she was okay with it, and and that you're ready to go on your, she's ready to go on her next adventure." Well, you know, Maggie had reunited with John, her former fiance, at the end of The Hollywood Spy. So I feel like I left her in a really good place. Like she was happy. She had reconnected with her ex-fiance, now boyfriend, and they were going to work together on this new mission. So it was it was a good place to pause, I felt. Um, And. It's been really fun to get back to Maggie. So I'm, I'm working on Maggie Hope number 11 now, no title quite yet, but it's the story of how Coco Chanel, the designer that everyone knows, actually was a Nazi agent. This is all documented. Yes. And she tried to broker a separate piece with certain aristocrats in London a separate piece for Germany without Hitler. So Hitler would be assassinated and Germany would have the separate piece. And there are so many things at stake, um, fascism, democracy, communism, anti-Russian sentiment, anti-German sentiment. And it's just insane. And I discovered, I mean, I, I sort of knew this, but I really have gotten into the research that like Los Angeles, London during that time, even in 1943, but certainly before that and before the war, was very fascist, especially in the aristocracy. Um, They did not sort of just turn when the war began. They went underground and there were still, you know, these the right club and all of these different um, propaganda um, clubs that would meet and discuss how they could make a separate peace with Germany. So it's far more part of the history of Britain than we're led to believe. Because again, it's like the myth, the little island, you know, everyone was together. The little island that could. Right. And I mean, that's a powerful myth and it's true. And it's true. And it's true. And there were other people uh, who would have loved to have worked with Coco Chanel to establish a separate piece for the Nazis post Hitler and to see, um, Germany not become communist. And, you know, the other thing that I found out researching this book is that at that time, Kim Philby of the Cambridge spies, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, tri- the Trinity five, right. mm-hmm. the Cambridge five um, was in charge of spying for Spain in world war two. So he had this covert agenda for communism and keeping the fascists from establishing a separate peace with the UK. I mean, it never would have happened because Churchill would never have agreed to it, but it was seriously talked about and people really tried to do it. So the fact like I can bring Kim Philby in pre, um, you know, pre cold war is so fun. And it just, I didn't even know that he was in charge of, you know, spying. And, I, I didn't, I didn't know that either. And I'm, I'm pretty obsessive about reading about the, the, the Cambridge five, the Trinity five, uh, because I, I just can't believe how high they ascended. 
Oh my the God. British yeah. government. Absolutely. But no, he, he had covered the, um, the Spanish civil war. And because he had that experience, um, you know, Whitehall put him in this position of power during world war II for the, for intelligence in Spain, which was of course a neutral country, um, with Franco as a fascist leader, but still neutral. And, you know, there was a whole lot of spying and espionage going on. So the fact that it's Kim Philby of all people, so you've got Chanel, Coco Chanel, Kim Philby, and then, you know, Maggie Hope, uh, makes it all very interesting. And so, um, I'm having a really good time researching this one. Although with the addition of Philby, it made my story a lot more complex. Well, that's what we love about Maggie Hope. I know. And that's what always happens when I do research. I always find these little things. That, you it's, know. it's it's the writer's curse. That, oh, uh, it's such gonna, a blessing, though. The curse and a blessing because you're going to research and find out stuff. Yeah, I just think it's going to it's going to make the book so juicy and so three dimensional. And it's going to be really, really fun. And when is that one scheduled, do you think? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I would like it to come out next year. And I am writing it right now. I'm not going to make any promises because um, I am a human being who has also come through. I wrote all the way through the pandemic. I did not take a break. I never take breaks. And I think I might be taking a little break for a while. Not a long one, but a break. And then I'm going to do the research that is necessary to do justice to this story because it's complicated and it's intense and I want to get everything right. And so I'm hoping next year, but it might be the year after that. I don't know. Well, I hope you'll talk to us again if I'm spared and I'm still here. Of course. Thanks again, Susan, for doing this, for taking the time and talking to me about uh, your really marvelous new book. And I have to look at the title because I always get the order wrong, Mother, Daughter, Traitor, Spy. Yep. Um, it's available and uh, it's, it is a corker. Thank you so much, Nancy. And I appreciate that from a Californian. I really <laughs> appreciate it.